2: Mobile banking
3: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm
1: Martha Barnett. Imagine that all the punctuation marks gave a party. What would that look like? Rachel Herbert asked that. On Twitter, she's an editor in Seattle, Washington. She wrote, Sometimes I imagine punctuation marks as people at a party. Comma. uh Uh-huh. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Then what happened? (laughs) (laughs) And the colon makes intense eye contact and says, now look. And the semicolon hands you their drink and plate so that they can gesture more freely. And the period abruptly says, we're done. Let's go. <laughs> and I've been thinking about that. Like, what would an asterisk be like at a party?
0: <laughs> I think it's a person who's constantly surprised. I don't know. It's the person <laughs> who walks in in their own surprise party. <laughs>
1: right. yeah. Or they're like, hold on, I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was thinking a tilde would just sit there in the corner going, nya, 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 nya.
0: Right. Parentheses are two people leaning toward yeah. each other, talking right. intently, ignoring everyone else. Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah. The dash
0: is making a run for the bathroom. Right.
1: Right, And maybe the slash is, I don't know, looking over somebody's plate. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or
0: or they're listing to port because they've been drinking. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Just one of these things that I think about while driving. (laughs) If you
0: have more contributions on what each kind of punctuation would do at a party, hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. And you can call us and... Email us with your language questions or just to discuss cool things that you read. 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words.
4: Hi, this is Katrina calling from Williamsburg, Virginia.
0: Hi, Katrina. Welcome.
1: What can we do for you?
4: I am calling to find out if using said to describe something that was previously spoken about is proper. For instance, if I told you I was going to the farmer's market to buy vegetables, I could send you a picture of the vegetables with the caption, said vegetables. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Said so vegetables. So
0: you, you said in this way to refer to, like you said, something that was spoken about in the past. Is this a construction that you're likely to use?
4: Well, I'm kind of new to social media and I see it everywhere. Like my sister posts stuff or I'll send stuff to her about things that we've, you know, pictures or something that we've spoken about before. And she'll say said vegetables, but I don't want to do it and sound crazy. So I was just calling to find out, can I use it or is it just something that's like occurring right now?
1: Well, it's certainly a legitimate usage. The usage of said to mean the aforementioned thing or the aforesaid thing goes back about 700 years in English. Wow. It's really, really, really old. Um, I'm not really aware of it being used um uh, in terms of, of something casual like
0: that, though. Yeah, it's usually more formal. You definitely will see it in legal documents, particularly when there's a discourse or discussion where, you know, somebody was mentioned in a previous part of the, docu- the legal document. Mm-hmm. The other part of it is I could see somebody doing it ironically, and certainly the Internet abounds in people doing things ironically that we wouldn't otherwise do.
1: right. Yeah, that was my sense of it. I mean, are, are you trying to be funny when you do it? Are you you're... I
4: don't know. It's kind of just like a way to describe, like, mm-hmm. instead of saying, these are the vegetables I told you about earlier, you could just say said vegetables. So I didn't know if it was proper to use it that way. Uh-huh. I like it. It sounds
1: ironic.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it's a tone mismatch is what it is. And that's a, a little bit of comedy that we often throw into language where in an informal situation, we use formal speech and we all kind of get a little... I don't know, a hormone jolt or something because we realized that there's a, the match, it it makes sense, but the match isn't there.
1: Right. Okay. So I wouldn't feel bad about it. In fact, I think it's pretty clever.
0: Yeah. I love the the fact that you're new to social media and you're like, whoa, what are these
1: these people (laughs) doing here?
0: (laughs) I was like, um,
1: can you, Do that? I don't know if you can do that. (laughs) Yes, Martha and Grant say you can. (laughs) Yes,
0: yeah, and you need to put an asterisk on every post. It says that approved by. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Approved by MBGB. (laughs)
1: That's right. I'm Grant and Martha, and we approve this message.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Katrina, thanks for your call. Really appreciate it. Thank you
4: so much. All right, bye bye. Have a great day. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: So it's a synonym for the aforementioned, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it takes the article the, and sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Here are the said vegetables, or you might also say, here are said vegetables. Mm -hmm. I love that it's just vegetables. That's our example, (laughs) is vegetables. Okay.
1: Homemade soap. Said homemade
0: soap. 1300s, we have it in archaic forms Mm -hmm. of English from the 1300s. That's interesting. Yeah,
1: I love that she's reviving it in social media. Call us with your language question, 877-929-9673. I was reading a text about film appreciation and came across a word I didn't know, which is diegetic. D-I-E-G-E-T-I-C. I -I Hmm. I don't know what that is. Yeah, it was news to me. It comes from a Greek word that means narrative. And diegetic refers to something that occurs within the story itself. So, for example, if you're watching um, the uh, Casablanca and uh, the guy is playing the piano in the bar, that's a diegetic Uh, experience, whereas narration or external music is non-diegetic. So when when Rocky Balboa is running up the steps in Philadelphia and there's that music blaring, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not really happening in real life. Right. So that's non-diegetic and diegetic.
0: Perfect. I love having a word for that. I know, right? Yeah. Talk to us, words, at waywardradio.org.
1: Hello. You have a way with words.
5: Hi. My name is Brad Andrews. How are you guys doing today? All
0: right. Where are you calling from, Brad?
5: I'm calling from Allen, Texas. Well, welcome
0: to the show. What can we do for you?
5: Um, originally, I'm from Mississippi, and I moved to Texas about, uh, about 10, 12 years ago. And when I first moved here, I would hear a term all the time that I'm not really used to. It's called T. Jones. I've heard people refer to it as a grandmother or a mother. I just want to know a little bit about the phrase, what exactly does it mean, and where did it come from? So
1: T. Jones, like T is in Thomas Jones?
5: Correct.
0: Where did you hear it? Where did you learn T. Jones
5: um, originally, when I moved to Texas, I'm uh, from Mississippi originally. Yeah. When I moved here, I would hear it all over Houston. Um, a lot of people said it in Houston. And uh, after that, I moved to Dallas. And again, uh, the phrase, I've heard it all over Texas, but nowhere else.
0: Yeah, that's 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 what I know about it as well. T. Jones, usually spelled as the letter T and the name Jones to mean mother, sometimes father, very rarely father, sometimes both parents together. Um, is very specific to Texas and usually centered around Dallas. Most people report it from Dallas, and it's African-American usually as well. Uh, sometimes Uh pops up in collections of uh, street slang or um, youth slang, but it's been around since the early 1970s, and it's a kind of big, fat origin unknown, unfortunately. We don't know, and I have seen no theories at all on the origins. Was it named after a particular person? you know did was t the initial of a you know matriarch of a clan or something um okay. uh, nobody really seems to know at all but it's interesting there's two interesting things about what you're telling me one is uh, boy people in Dallas are going to be surprised that it's you heard it in Houston because everything that i've read on this both in casual speech and in slang dictionaries firmly associates it with the Dallas region and not Houston okay um, and the other thing that, which kind of surprises me is that it's still got so much life in it. It's still out there being used because I thought it was waning and kind of fading in its use. But you're saying that you still wear oh, absolutely. it?
5: Absolutely, all over the place. Okay.
1: Brad, I'm wondering what kind of context you hear it in? Is it, is it a particularly affectionate term, or would you just use it in passing?
5: It's always used as an affectionate manner. Um, for example, I, I'm going to my T. Jones house. She's cooking today. And again, I don't know when it necessarily means grandmother or mother. Uh-huh. It's just used kind of sparingly between the two of them. Uh-huh. and I'm very crushed that you guys have no idea where this thing came from. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yo, I, I, it happens a lot, actually, <laughs> particularly with slang, because slang kind of comes up from uh, different communities that we might not be a part of, and and the histories don't travel with the words as the words themselves start being used by more people.
5: Oh, I'm glad I was able to stump you guys. I feel good about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> well, Brad. The, the nice thing about this
0: show, Brad, is now that we've talked about T. Jones, meaning mother or uh, other things, Um, We may get emails and calls from people saying, look, look, I have a source for this from the 1950s or my grandfather used this in the 1940s. You never know what we'll uncover. Sometimes we get great information, and I'm hoping that'll happen this time. Yeah, so keep listening.
5: Uh, Thank you so much. I love the show, guys. Keep it up. Thank Thank you. Appreciate the
0: call. Take care. Bye-bye. T-Jones. T-Jones. Sometimes it's spelled T-E-E, Jones, Uh but almost always it's the capital letter t or the lowercase t in a space, and then Jones either capitalized mm-hmm. or not capitalized.
1: Fascinating that it's so localized.
0: Right? Well, we don't all speak alike, right? There's this right. illusion this, about the monolith of American English where there's one American English, but there has never been one American English, and uh-huh. and we're not merging either. Right. We're growing increasingly unlike each other in certain ways Right. when we speak.
1: Well, if you know something about T. Jones, give us a call, 877-929-9673, and we welcome your emails about anything regarding language. The address is words at waywardradio.org. The term that seems to be having growing usefulness these days is wish cycling.
0: Do you wish wish cycling? cycling? All right, can I make some guesses? Sure. So, not related to bicycles. No. Okay, related to recycling, kind of? Yes. Is this where it's like a chain of wishes, where I grant your wish, you grant somebody else's, and we just keep the chain of wish-granting oh, going? Oh,
1: that's lovely. No,
0: it's not that. <laughs> but that's Watch not
1: the answer. Watch it be something terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not so good. This is this is when um, you're standing in front of your recycling bin and you've got something that you're not quite oh, sure yeah. of. Maybe it's a beverage cap mm-hmm. or the tinfoil lid from a yogurt. And it doesn't you're have like, the
0: recycling triangle to tell you. Right,
1: and you're thinking, well, it probably can be recycled. But
0: you just know if you get it wrong, there's somebody back at the sorting center going, oh, on, when will they learn?
1: Yes, yes. If you get it wrong, there are consequences and it, it costs the recycling companies and it just, it messes everything mm-hmm. up. Uh, it's not a good thing to do. It's it's really, really um, so counterproductive.
0: better to go on the side of throwing it away and then on the side of recycling it if you're not sure?
1: That's apparently what they're saying in the recycling industry because uh, all of your recyclables are processed at a materials recovery facility right. which is called a Murph giant M-R-F. piles of
0: things and lots of conveyor belts
1: right right but the thing is that no two Murphs are the, are the same and so it really depends on your locality and um, apparently a recycler in um, Minnesota, uh, came up with the term wish cycling, which is which was when people just sort of make assumptions, and they shouldn't because it really gums right. up the machinery, or you know they turn things into a slurry. But if there's all this bad stuff, on, right. you know, like a greasy a pizza yeah. box, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, it's yeah, you want the whole piece, but you can't because it has food residue, and you can't right. get the residue out. Or jars that haven't been cleaned out. Wish cycling. I wish I could recycle it, but I can't. <laughs> Right. <laughs>
1: yes, that, that okay. is the way that we should think about it.
0: There's more about language. We know you've got something for us. Give us a call,
1: 877-929-9673. The show's about language examined through family, history, and culture. Stay with us.
0: Got a minute? We need your help.
1: Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey.
0: Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success.
1: Thanks for making our show even more successful.
0: That's gum.fm slash words.
1: Thank you. You're listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett.
0: And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined by John Chinesky, our quiz
2: guy. Hi, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. Hello. Hi. You know, um, in Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll introduced this uh, rather weird, unanswerable question that's uh, a classic riddle How is a raven like a writing desk? Now, do either of you know an answer to that? Have you, you've heard it before, I'm sure, right? Uh, yeah, but I don't know a
0: good answer except dumb ones. like Yeah, they're only dumb ones, actually. They're, okay. so. they're both English words. <laughs>
2: they're both English words. Sam Lloyd once said, Poe wrote on both. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, Carol, Carol himself said, both can produce a few notes, though they're very flat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but in, in any case, there, it was meant to be a sort of a nonsense question. In any case, I have another question for you. How is a popular song like a butterfly net?
1: It's catchy?
2: Yes, it's catchy. Very (laughs) good. So the following questions follow the same pattern. One thing is describable by an adjective that ends in Y. The other can be two, but in a different way. Okay. All right. I think you've got it. Yeah, they're both catchy. Now, this one's kind of classic. How is scotch tape like a walking cane? They're both sticky. sticky. They're both sticky, yes. How was the Four Seasons hotel like a grade school teacher? Classy. Oh, classy. <laughs> yes, very good. How was an old-fashioned car like a mean old man? Both cranky. Cranky. Yes, <laughs> good. I'm so glad you guys are getting right into the sum of this. How is a thick stew like a gift shop in February? <laughs> Hearty. Hearty. Yes, oh. very nice. Very nice. <laughs> How is a lumberjack like the Dow Jones Industrial Average? Choppy? Uh, seesaws. <laughs> uh, um, plaid. Stocky?
1: Yes, oh, stocky. Nice.
2: Nicely done. How is a uh, poorly washed window like a naked jogger?
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly,
0: that's right. A poorly washed window is like a naked jogger. You know. They're...
1: I make it uh, Smeary, streaky
2: streaky streaky nice. yes finally how is a rundown hotel like a garden supply store R- shifty ricky something like the uh,
1: rundown uh, hotel
0: Seedy. Mm-hmm. C- yes Ooh. they're both seedy. Oh, very good good well you guys were fantastic that was great congratulations thanks john <laughs> appreciate the quiz every week we'll talk to you next time thank you see you then all right take care
1: and if you'd like to talk with us, call us 877-929-9673 or send your emails to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words.
4: Hi, how are you? I am Cara DeFries and I am in San Diego, California. Kara, welcome to the show. What can we do for you? I am so happy to be here. In college, I was an English and theater major and I always found something curious. In theater you have monologues if it's just one person talking. And for two or more, it's called a dialogue. But then there's unicycles for something with one wheel and bicycles for two. And in classes, it's a mashup of mono and bi with monocle and bifocals. So why aren't they monocycles and die cycles? And why is there this mono dia uni, situation?
0: <laughs> <laughs> mono dia uniby situation. Okay. The world is complicated. Thanks for calling. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's get to the heart of this, right? First, the dia in dialogue isn't from die affix the dia prefix meaning to. Instead, it comes from a word oh. meaning through. Because mm-hmm. uh, there actually is a word, duologue, which is a conversation between two people, which which is the companion to monologue. So it's, so oh. it's, it may be misunderstood. And it, if in theater, they only mean it for two people, um, fine, that's fine, a conversation for two people, but in the larger world outside of theater, dialogue can be any number of people. It's not specifically just two people.
1: Right. It's from Greek for through, like diagonal. Which yeah, is...
0: exactly, or diameter. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so that solves that. The other thing is, I think the larger question, if I can rephrase what you're asking here, is why do we have all these prefixes that mean the same thing? Why do we have die and duo and by? And it becomes It's because our language is a mutt. Heinz 57 English, basically, is what it is. We get so many of our words. um, (laughs) Some of them were created directly in the modern era from Greek and Latin. Some of them came to us inherited through French or German. Some of the ones that we have now look like they came to us directly from Greek and Latin, but they actually traveled through like three other languages to get to us. And they still retained their prefixes and their suffixes and so forth. So every single word has its own story. You can kind of glom them all together and say, oh, well, here's the reason that some words have die and some have bi. But there's no one universal rule for all of them. Uh, A lot of it is caprice, really. The the whimsy and the caprice of the people who coined scientific words, for example, is just whatever they felt was superior.
4: Fascinating.
0: Yeah. But m- monocycle instead of unicycle, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I think
1: that's an old <laughs> word for it. Yeah,
0: probably was.
1: I used to have a, I have actually ridden a six-foot unicycle. I had to uh, be lifted up to a uh, oh. basketball hoop to put it under me. I was holding onto the basketball hoop. A six
0: For a second there, I wasn't thinking measurements. I was thinking like appendages when you said six-foot unicycle. I'm oh. like, how does that work? <laughs> six legs and one wheel? That's strange. <laughs>
4: Oh, that's super interesting. Thank you for all that. I just it was one of those I was like, this is just weird, right? But I guess English language is it, weird. You're exactly
0: default. right. It is. But I will tell you, I, I've shared this resource on the show before, but I totally think you're the person for this, and probably a lot of our other listeners too. There's a website called affixes.org. You know, the prefix and the suffix plus the infix; those three together, their category is affix. A F F I X. ES.org. what Michael Quin Michael <laughs> Quin yeah Michael Quinion <laughs> in the UK put it together his work is fantastic and he explains each of these prefixes and suffixes and so forth in in detail and talks about where they come from why we use them and some words that, that
4: have them
1: I think what I'm hearing well, there is, goes my evening I was gonna say there goes your weekend right <laughs> I could hear that in your voice yeah. Kara. <laughs>
0: All right, Kara, thank you for calling. I really appreciate always,
6: it. As always, you are always stellar. Thank you so Take much care, for answering that sure. for me. <laughs> Get some sleep now. <laughs>
1: Don't Bye stay bad. up all night. <laughs> <laughs> thank all right. you. Okay, bye-bye. You know, I'm looking in the Oxford English Dictionary. Monocycle is a word. Is this uh, that rare? Was, Yeah, it was rare. Back to eighteen sixty nine mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. But same thing, unicycle.
0: <laughs> it just wins. Sometimes when there's <laughs> right? more than one yeah. word for a single item or a single yeah. category, one prevails and it becomes the ensconced term.
1: That's right. <laughs> English words, arm wrestling. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. A word you're probably going to be hearing more and more of in the coming years is solastalgia.
0: Oh, I've heard this. Yeah, I'm not sure I remember what it meant though.
1: Yeah, I saw it in your Double Tongue Dictionary oh, on our website. What, is, what does it mean? Solastalgia. S-O-L-A-S-T-A-L-G-I-A refers to a form of psychic or existential distress that's caused by environmental change or a change to a place that you know well and have taken comfort in. It was coined by Australian philosopher Glenn Albrecht in two thousand and three it's It's like nostalgia, but it also combines the words solace and desolate. And the idea is that um, say your your town was uh, destroyed by a wildfire mm-hmm. or um, or your your home in Appalachia was destroyed by uh, strip mining, mm-hmm. or you you see an environmental situation that's getting worse and worse, like mm-hmm. maybe the Arctic melting or something like that. Solastalgia is the term that more and more people in the field of uh, philosophy and uh, psychology are using.
0: So it's the loss of something that you once sought solace in? Yes, exactly. Gotcha. And so it's the the feeling that you get when these things start to disappear.
1: Yeah, particularly in your environment. Mm -hmm. I guess it could be like, um, you know, you go back to your old neighborhood and the buildings are gone. Right,
0: right. What's an empty lot there now or another Starbucks? Yeah,
1: (laughs) solastalgia.
0: 877-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words.
7: Hello. This is Monica. I'm calling from Tallahassee, Florida. Hi, I'm Monica.
0: Mark. Welcome to the show.
7: Thanks. What's I'm up? excited to be here. Yay. <laughs> um, so recently, I was reading bedtime stories to my kids, and um, you know, we check out a lot of books from the library, and I, I make an effort to check out books that represent a lot of different cultures because I want to expose them to a lot of different kinds of people and. Um, you know, as I was reading uh, this book called Flossie and the Fox, um, it got me thinking about how does one read in dialect that is not your own dialect? Um, the book is about a little girl and her family, and they are black. I am white, as is the rest of my family. And the book is written in um, very deliberately in a rural southern black dialect. There's even an author note uh, that she wrote about how the language is key to the story, and it's um, sort of from her the way her grandfather taught or told her stories when she was a kid. So it just got me thinking, you know, how do I read these words? When I read them in my own voice, it sounds kind of goofy, like um, kind of like when you hear people who don't speak Spanish read Spanish words with no accent, you know, mm-hmm. like hola, como esta mm-hmm. <laughs> But then to read it with any sort of put-on accent feels a little bit performative and almost disrespectful. So I just wanted some input about what you guys think about that.
1: Boy, what a good question. How
7: old are your kids, Monica? Um, Sarah is almost seven, and Henry is five and a half. Okay, Okay. so
0: they're just old enough to maybe be doing a little reading on their own, but perhaps you're reading books to them that are a little beyond their level, and that's the way that you can expose them to new material that they wouldn't read for themselves, right?
7: Yeah, that's true.
0: Um, well, you know, we we encountered this in my house as well. I wanted to read Tom Sawyer to my son, mm. um, besides oh, yeah. the use of the N-word throughout, which I figured I would handle by replacing it with another word. Um, it's also loaded with three or four different kinds of Missouri old-fashioned dialects, and I had this mm-hmm. problem. We didn't really make it through the first chapter because yeah. I I couldn't find something that worked where he didn't look at me funny, my son look at me funny, mm-hmm. and where, just like you, I didn't feel like... I was making a really big mistake by by demonstrating something that outside of this circumstance, this context, wouldn't be okay. It would be not yes, okay exactly. for me to imi- imitate the language of a Black American in any other context. So how could I permit myself to do it here?
7: Right. And the thing is, um, you know, like one friend of mine said, well, if you're reading Shakespeare, you could put on an English accent and that wouldn't be weird. But I feel like it's so different when you're reading something where the dialect is from a historically disadvantaged demographic and I'm from a majority culture, you know, I really want to be deliberate about how I make that choice and not make a choice that's accidentally disrespectful.
1: Mm -hmm. It sounds like part of the solution is to talk with your children about it in advance, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you do that?
7: Um, You know, I did actually, as I was reading, I realized how much of the book was in language that I don't usually, you know, in a way that I don't usually speak. So I did try to sort of address that a little bit, but it felt, I mean, I don't know, it just um, kind of on the fly. I don't think I came up with the best words. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I we are trying to be very deliberate about talking about race because studies show that the earlier you talk about it, the more open-minded your kids will be and the less they'll take on racist attitudes. Right. Um, but yeah, I wasn't really sure how to kind of address it just on the fly while reading. Um I don't know. Do you guys have any phraseology you would use or language you would recommend?
0: There's another element we haven't talked about, which is even if it's an accent where there isn't this racial difference, you know, this minority versus majority difference either, let's say that it's a deep south white person's accent. The question is, are you as a reader good at performing that accent or doing that accent? Can you even pull it off without (laughs) sounding foolish and without giving your kid the wrong idea of what that person probably really would sound like if they were standing there in the room. So, right. So there's just another part of It's just like, can't you even do it? Like the English accent, could I do an accent for Shakespeare? No. Yeah, or
1: Harry Potter. <laughs> or Harry Potter.
0: No, I can't do that. However, one of the things that you're talking about here is outside the context of reading books to your kids. You are talking about Cultural encounters, and this is one of many cultural encounters that we as parents have to explain to our children. And so I think you can lump this experience in with what is it like being in a neighborhood where nobody looks like you? What is it like Mm -hmm. going to a school where people, people speak languages that you don't know? What is it like traveling in a country where they have a different religion than you? Or where? Or they speak English or, differently. Or they speak English differently. So it's mm-hmm. uh, maybe that's your path to explaining this. Talk about those other circumstances where you and your family encounter new ideas, new cultures, new languages, new people, and just hmm. put it as part of that whole package.
7: Right. That's a great idea. And since it is something that we have been talking about, I think that would be easy to kind of, you know, loop that into the the larger context.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I appreciate that you're you're thinking about this. The kid isn't really who we're worried about judging us, though, right? It's how we judge ourselves for, for mishandling or poorly handling the material.
7: <laughs> well, and a lot of it is, you know, if you mess up and your kids say something disrespectful later, how right. other parents are going to judge you as parents, right? Right.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> but good for you for reading the material yeah. in the first place.
0: What the... The, what I might do for a particular text, if it really the one you're talking about seems really uh, fraught because it has a lot of different dialect passages in it, I might set it aside for later too, until the child is ready to read it for him or herself.
7: Right, right, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for your input. I really appreciate it, Monica. Thank you for calling.
0: Thank you, and let us know uh, if you if you come up with a different decision. If there's something that we can share with the rest of our listeners, all right?
7: Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, and I love the show. Thank
0: you. Give our best <laughs> to your kids.
1: Bye bye. All right. How you doing? Thank
0: you. 877
1: 929 9673.
0: Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. My name is Gerald
8: Johnson from San Diego. Hi, Gerald. Welcome to the show. Hello, Gerald. What's up? My mom's from North Carolina, older generation. So she used to say a lot of crazy things um, when we were young. Like, hey, mom, can we have our allowance early or something like that? She would say, well, your room is hasn't been cleaned since Suki was a calf. <laughs> and it was like, Well mom, who's Suki and what are you talking about? Like and so I'd always have that phrase stuck in my head since Suki was a calf. And I'm assuming that Suki grew up at some point and so <laughs> she was a calf a long time ago. Um that was just my understanding, but I'm not sure.
1: So Suki, who's Suki?
8: I have no idea. Apparently she's a cow.
1: <laughs> well, you're right. Yeah, suki is a, is a term that has been used for uh a couple of centuries now as at least to uh, to call a calf or call a cow. Suki, suki. Or suki. Oh. And uh yeah, it goes all the way back uh to England and uh and so the name also got applied to the animal itself. And I had Oh, heard, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you might call a cow or a calf
0: Sookie. So that's its name, as well as the noise that you make mm-hmm. to beckon them to the stall. Oh, or
3: okay. Yeah,
1: Sookie, Sookie. Although I haven't heard that phrase, it sort of falls in line with a lot of other phrases, like since Hector was a pup. Have you heard that one?
8: No, nope, haven't heard of that one yet.
1: Yeah, or since Christ left Chicago, or since Pluto was a pup, uh, it, the the idea is that it's been a very long time, and clearly it was a long time since you'd cleaned your room.
8: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we kind of figured it out over time, like okay, well it must be something as far as like long time ago, because I'm pretty sure Suki is just grown up now and she's the grandma, or who knows <laughs> where who knows of. where Suki's at.
1: Put out the pasture.
8: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well,
0: I hope we were able to help you, Gerald, and you're satisfied with our answer.
8: Awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. I like it. Thank okay. you. And I'm probably going to call back as soon as I figure out some more stuff, because she said a lot <laughs> yeah. of things. She had a <laughs> lot of phrases.
0: Absolutely. We welcome those. We're looking forward to it.
8: Thank you, guys. All right. Take care. Okay.
1: Take care, Gerald. Bye. Uh, okay. All right. Bye. So call us with your language question, 877
0: More of language seen through history, culture and family as A Way With Words continues. Thank you. You're listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And
1: I'm Martha Barnett. Born in London in 1772, Luke Howard was a shy chemist who was also really fascinated by weather, and particularly by clouds. He wanted to organize how we understand and observe those ever changing formations up in the sky, and he wanted to do it in a way that was scientific. And in 1803, he self-published a pamphlet that he called On the Modifications of Clouds, Etc. In it, he proposed a classification system for clouds, and he drew on his schoolboy Latin and came up with the main categories, which were cirrus, stratus, and cumulus. Now, cirrus comes from the Latin for hair or tendril. Stratus comes from the Latin for layer, and cumulus is like a pile, you know, like accumulate. And this new way of looking at clouds and these new names and this whole new language for talking about something that everybody had always seen but never really classified that way, it hit a nerve in the popular imagination and Luke Howard became this reluctant scientific celebrity. His nomenclature was championed by some of the greatest minds of his time, especially the influential German poet Goethe. Goethe went so far as to write poems based on those names. And some people criticized Criticized Howard for using Latin rather than everyday spoken English, and Goethe wrote a passionate response uh, on Howard's behalf. And he argued that those Latin cloud names should be accepted in all languages. They should not be translated, because in that way, the first intention of the inventor and founder of them is destroyed. And he even went on to send Howard gushing fan mail, which is kind of hard to imagine today. The story of all of this is told by historian Richard Hamblin in the book, The Invention of Clouds, How an Amateur Meteorologist Forged the Language of the Skies. And, in fact, if you go to his home in London, there's a historical marker that says, Luke Howard, namer of clouds, lived and died here.
0: Oh, that's namer so nice. Namer of
1: clouds.
0: <laughs> this is what we all dream of when we come up with a word. We want acclaim, recognition, acknowledgement. Right. We want to be a part of history. Right. And he got that. Goethe is your fan yeah i know i'm imagining him like dotting his eyes with hearts as he sends letters (laughs) to howard
1: (laughs) yeah forget the umlauts (laughs) yeah i never knew that story i just i just thought some scientist came up with this yeah these names, but we still use them today. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And they're not intact in other languages, right? They are modified to fit the different languages that they've been borrowed into, Actually, right?
1: I don't know. There's a pretty clear system of classification yeah. of clouds, and I don't know.
0: So it's, I like how it plugs into in the development of meteorology as a, as a science, mm-hmm. where we started to realize that some of those old saws about the red sky or whatever right. had a little bit of truth, and we could look at the sky to see what was going to happen a little later with our weather.
1: Exactly. Trace the sky with a painter's brush. The winds around you soon will rush. Talking about cirrus clouds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I also love about this is that it was a way of using language to impose order on something that didn't seem to have any order. It seems that Luke Howard was was someone who who saw differences in clouds and saw patterns and and indeed um, began meteorology that way.
0: I have often thought that if there were another species on this planet that had the same kind of active intelligence as humans, that they might actually call us a word that means the classifiers because that is so much of what humans do. We sort, we organize, we classify. And if you were to think about our primary behavior, a lot of it has to do with that, the things that we say, the things that we produce, how we organize ourselves and our communities. It's about setting these boundaries and saying this is a box and all of things of this type go in that box. Are you-
1: Right, right. The classifiers. I really like that. And of course, language is key to that, right? Mm -hmm. Making sense of the world.
0: We love language. And if you come across a passage that talks about language in a way that you really enjoy, we want to know and we want to share it with our other listeners. Send it along. Email is words at waywardradio.org. And you can link to it on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, how are you? Doing great. How are you? And who is this? This
6: is Rod Gray. I'm from Dallas, Texas.
0: Hi, Rod. Welcome to the show.
6: Hi, Rod. My uh, family has some cute little sayings, but my favorite aunt, um, she's from California, uh, born and raised in Arkansas. And she used to say this thing every time something was like weird or not right or whatever, uh, like an accident on the road or, or like a. Uh, a tree limb fall off of a tree or whatever. She said, don't that just frost you? And I've always wondered where on earth it came from because she died. I never got to ask her where um, she got started with it, but I've heard it all my life. Uh-huh. What other kinds or of like things? Or like a car accident or or someone would pull out in front of my uncle. She never drove because um, she backed into the garage wall and got out of the car and says, I'll never drive again. Don't that just frost you? So... <laughs> It's just the way she always threw it into a sentence if something just wasn't quite right.
0: Uh Okay, yeah.
6: And I got a lot of cousins and I got a lot of aunts and uncles, but none of them ever knew where she got it from or if she made it up or what. But it sounds like something somebody would use, you know. Don't that just frost you? You know, yeah. why'd mm-hmm. that happen? You know, or something.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and indeed, that's the case. It seems to go back to perhaps college slang in the U.S. from from the late nineteenth uh, century. But
0: not the full phrase, just the verb to frost right. someone. Right, that full phrase of doesn't, really? that, doesn't that just X you is kind of a, a template for a whole bunch of other verbs that will fill in that, that X.
1: Yeah, but, but frost in the oh, sense of, of shock or irritate you or just kind of take you aback. Because
0: mm-hmm. there's two old meanings of it. One is to anger somebody, is to frost them is to anger them. The mm-hmm. other one is to surprise or shock them. And mm-hmm. they're both mm-hmm. just about the same age.
1: Mm-hmm. And there are naughtier versions. I don't know if she ever used that, but uh, don't that just— Oh, no.
6: This is a woman who had a Bible under her arm 24-7. Oh, okay. okay. She was very Baptist, so I think she probably used that word. If there used to be one nasty, she switched it to frost, I guess. (laughs) I don't know.
0: Got it. (laughs) Because there's there's, um, an expression, doesn't that just chap your behind? I'll use the word behind. And there's a similar version for frost. Doesn't that just frost your— Behind, I'll say Yeah, behind. or it's
1: various other yeah. parts of your anatomy.
6: Okay, well, that's very rewarding to know that, you know, there is a real meaning behind it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Rod, thanks so much for calling. We really appreciate it. Call again sometime with some of her expressions, all right?
6: Okay, thank you so much. All Have t- a great day. T- all care, right.
1: Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Rod. Bye-bye. Thank you. And it seems like you would be more likely to say don't that rather than doesn't that.
0: Right, I think it needs to sound... It was super informal in order mm-hmm. to have the efficacy.
1: Yes, don't that frost you?
0: Don't that frost your <laughs> giblets?
1: Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. We were talking earlier about Luke Howard, the Englishman who founded modern meteorology by starting to classify clouds with different kinds of language, with, with Latin words. And uh, his influence extended not only to Goethe, the poet, as as I said, but to the painter, John Constable, and Percy Shelley, the poet. Oh. All of these people were inspired by this whole idea of classifying uh, clouds. And Percy Shelley I wrote a poem called The Cloud, and it's long, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read the first uh, stanza, which will give you a taste of it. I bring fresh showers for the thirsting flowers from the seas and streams. I bear light shade for the leaves when laid in their noonday dreams. For my wings are shaken, the dews that waken, the sweet buds every one. When rocked to rest on their mother's breast as she dances about the sun. I wield the flail of the lashing hail and whiten the green plains under. And then again, I dissolve it in rain and laugh as I pass in thunder. And it's so beautiful and rhythmic and so much imagery and and should be a poem that's taught when you're talking about personification in English class. It's really a lovely poem that goes on and on. And
0: that's Percy Bysshe Shelley, and the poem is called?
1: Uh, The Cloud.
0: The Cloud. Thanks, Martha. That was beautiful. Call us, 877-929-9673.
1: Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Mike. Hi, Mike.
3: From Green Bay.
1: Welcome to the show. What can we do for you?
3: I was just talking a few days ago with my dad. We were talking about kind of some drinking colloquialisms that we've both grown up with um, throughout the generations, and one that we found that we both knew was rad keys, and it's a term that we've both known in our friend groups for uh, unfinished beers that you find at a party. You pick a can up, and it's only half full, and you say, well, who left the Radkey here? Why aren't you finishing your beers? Uh-huh. And uh, he had traced it back to his uh, college friend, whose last name was Radke, and he, he was telling me, you know, that's all over the country, and that, you know, he's been to California, Nashville, um, he's been in Florida, and he's heard people using this term that was started in La Crosse, Wisconsin.
0: Oh, has he really? Sure he wasn't pulling yeah. your leg?
3: No, and it, and it's something that I had heard, and I thought maybe it was just something um, that, you know, my friends and I had done picked up off of him, but um, my friends said that I was never the first one to have introduced them to the Word, um, and I've met other people that have, Said that they recognize it as well.
0: So radkey meaning an unfinished beer your father claims to have coined based on the name of a friend?
3: Yep. It, and, it was his friend group that he's claiming to have started it based on the last name of one of his college friends.
0: I got to tell you, I've never heard of it, Mike. And, and it doesn't come up in any slang dictionaries or any Google searches, heck, even for... Looking around Wisconsin, I don't even see it.
1: So, Mike, was this guy known for uh, leaving half a line in Kugel there or or drinking everybody else's?
3: Yeah, I think it was he was just drinking to be a part of the group, but not really liking and enjoying the beer itself. Huh. And so he'd crack one open and just kind of leave it and forget about it and gotcha. move on and then grab another one when he felt it was time to maybe try again.
0: Now, I know a couple other terms for this. Wounded soldier is one and grenade is another, but um, that one I've never heard of. I've never heard a half-finished beer called a Radke. But you know what? Our show is heard around the country, and if people are using it elsewhere, I encourage them to call so we can get the data on this and figure out if Radke is used elsewhere.
1: Yeah, and maybe Mr. Radke will call in.
0: (laughs) Maybe. All right. We'll throw that out, and if we hear more about it, we'll let you know. If you meet the guy Radke... And he has something to say about this. Have him reach out to us, all right? Absolutely. All right. Thanks for calling. We really appreciate it.
3: Yep. You're welcome. Happy to be here. All right, okay. Take
0: care. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm sorry to be so skeptical. It's just so often when people say that they coined a word and now oh, man. everyone's using it, there are a couple different ways it can go, but almost never when somebody says they coined a word, did they? Right. Or were they the first? Right. Or it's the other thing is they say that everyone's using the word. I'm like, I don't see it. I've got some resources you know, that other people don't have to look this stuff up or to search for it or contact people, and I just don't see it for Radke.
1: Yeah, chances are they didn't coin it.
0: Yeah, it could be the Wisconsin diaspora, though, right? could be people from this other group have spread out to other parts Mm -hmm. of the country, and maybe they are using it. Drinking
1: lots of beer. You never know. (laughs) 877-929-9673, or send your emails to words at waywardradio.org.
0: Hello, you have a way with words.
1: Hi, this is
9: Rachel. I'm calling from College Park, Maryland.
0: Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the show.
9: Well, so I recently moved to Maryland for grad school, and my housemates and I were just sitting around, and we heard the sound of the ice cream truck coming down the street. And without really like thinking, I just said, we should get some ice cream from the Ding Ding Man. And needless to say, they all kind of looked at each other and were like, what? <laughs> um, and um, I realized it was kind of a juvenile term. But I hadn't really thought about it because it's just kind of what we said. So I'm originally from Omaha, Nebraska. Aha. Mm-hmm.
0: Ding ding, man. That's what we say, yeah. The, this is the truck that drives around with the music and serves you ice cream from a little window on the side.
1: Right. Yeah. It's funny that you uh, describe it as ding ding because I was just talking to Grant the other day about how we had ding ding in our family as a family word. We referred to our belly buttons as ding dings <laughs>
0: because, because,
1: you know, they, they're like doorbells, right? How can you resist? <laughs>
0: yeah. So, so
9: your friends were you laughing at you. So huh? in
0: Maryland, they don't say ding ding man, but in Nebraska, they do?
9: Apparently. My roommates are from Ohio and Florida.
0: Okay. So they yeah. hadn't
9: heard it there. And I've done a little bit of fooling around campus from people that I've met asking if they'd ever heard of it. And none of them had. Yeah. But people in Nebraska that I've asked earlier, oh, yeah, the ding-ding man. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a funny term.
1: Yeah, that's really funny. It seems to be localized now pretty much to Nebraska.
0: A- and in Omaha is Yeah, and Omaha.
1: Do you remember specifically what kind of a uh, truck that was and what kind of bell? What did it sound like?
9: Yeah. Like, growing up, I think I remember it being more of a, like, ding, 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 ding kind of sound. Uh-huh. Um, but then, like, going to college, which was also in Nebraska, but in Lincoln instead of Omaha, then I remember hearing the sound because I was confused why there was a a music, like Christmas music playing uh-huh. <laughs> in the summer. Yeah, right. Um that I remember that being odd, but then I didn't re- really make the connection between it not having a ding-ding sound <laughs> to still call it the ding-ding. Man. Oh,
0: so this is an important dis- distinction. In Omaha, they just have the bell; they don't play like "Turkey in the Straw" That's or "Jingle what I was Bells," gonna right? Say.
9: Turkey in the Straw is
1: the one that I heard in Kentucky. It was really annoying, <laughs> yeah. too. But yeah, all these other public domain songs like that. Yeah, but yeah, Turkey in the Straw. Yeah, for Mr. Sure. Softy
0: in New York. I can still hum <laughs> that song in my sleep. <laughs> well, it, Martha and I both understand. That this term is still used in Omaha and parts of Nebraska. It used to be more widespread. You can find mentions of the ding ding back as far as the early 1900s. Often, though, it was a conductor of a trolley car and not, again, Mm -hmm. ringing a bell. Mm -hmm. But again, here and there in St. Joseph, Missouri, which isn't that far from Omaha, um, Springfield, Missouri, which is a little further, Central Ohio, as far back as 1917. And in Illinois, I can find uses in newspapers of people calling the ice cream truck the ding ding man yeah
9: but but now it's just mostly in yeah, nebraska it's, it's,
0: yeah it's almost as far as we know it is exclusive to nebraska and mostly in omaha
9: yeah it's
1: kind of an omaha that's thing so, <laughs> so you can take that back to your friends you're not
9: the only one yeah that's good to hear they thought i was ding dong <laughs>
0: <laughs> no you're very nice we like you <laughs> rachel thanks so much
9: for calling
1: thanks rachel well thanks for talking with me bye-bye Alrighty, bye-bye, bye-bye. bye-bye. I remember calling that person the Good Humor Man. Right, back that's in the a day brand too, of ice cream. Yeah, that it's still was out a specific there, I think. One.
0: And that's in New York. Mr. Softy is like a brand of truck mm-hmm. and ice cream. But the Christmas music throughout the year, oh. that's the signature of a lot of oh. these vehicles, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, and I remember some kind of classical music too that oh, they really? played, which sounded ridiculous on one of those trucks.
0: I did hear one doing the Star Wars theme driving oh, down really? the street in New York <laughs> when they were trying to make a name for themselves. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I remember hearing Jesu Joy of Man's Desiring or something <laughs> okay. like that.
0: What do they call the ice cream truck or the person who operates it out your way? Let us know, 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org.
1: from Tracy Bullington in northern Idaho. She left us a voicemail talking about a family term. Uh, She went shopping with her second son when he was very small and she bought some eggnog and she didn't think anything of it. She said, I'm getting some eggnog. Later in the day, he said, Mommy, can I have some chicken milk? (laughs) (laughs) And so of course, ever after her family has referred to eggnog as chicken milk.
0: <laughs> oh, I love these. I can never tire of the I know, cute things the right? kids say. There's no end to it. It's an endless supply of fun little cuteness.
1: Send yours to words at waywardradio.org or call us
0: 877-929-9673. Want more away with words?